Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. On the docket today, it's stage number two of my chat with Andy Santer. My name's Andy Austin, your host. This podcast directly benefits Maine Vintage Race Car Association. MVRCA preserves the history of racing in the state of Maine. There are a number of ways that you can support our mission, most importantly, by becoming a member. Individual memberships are available for less than $2 a month. Hit up MainVintageRace.org for more details. That's MainVintageRace.org. This podcast does not happen without your support, and thank you so much for your words of encouragement. You can also contribute by going to Patreon.com slash OpenTrailerPodcast. Money raised goes directly into the production and the equipment necessary to make this possible. And again, I appreciate the support. In this stage, we we talk about Andy's blossoming Bush North career, his first win, who was keeping an eye on him, his move south, his scary wreck at Daytona, and his ultimate redemption later that year. Let's dig in. So uh, what's the next thing that happens? Um, do you get the uh, the 15 ride? What happens in between there? Yeah, that we ran, um, we ran a bunch of races in Maine in 1992 with that Buick. I think we ch- changed it over to Illumina for that year. And um, I won a big race opening day at Wiscasset. It was a 150-lapper. Boss, I think it was, might have, I don't know if it was a Boss Hog 100. I think it was, or 150. I started in the back, drove to the front, won that. Mm-hmm. And then I won a bunch of races at Bangor that year. I won um, the big race up at Spud Speedway. Um, ended up myself, Marty LeBlanc, who a lot of people in Maine know. Oh, yeah, Marty. Marty was a great guy. And, uh he he finished second that day, and John Fippen finished third. So wow. those are two guys that are no longer with us that were great guys, yeah. and they were so much fun to race with, and so much fun the night before the race. We were all right. together and having yeah. hanging out. Yeah. We all raced hard. We beat beat and banged a little bit, but we were all buddies in the end. And I was just a young kid, so those guys kind of took me under their wing, and and uh, I happened to beat them that year. And um, I think you know I won a bunch of those open comp races and um it, one thing led to another and with dave mcmaster he had built my motors and he knew me a little bit and he knew how well i was doing he was hearing from the other competitors that i was winning and um he called me and uh he asked me if i'd be interested in trying out the uh, o'connor buick uh bush grand national north car was that the the butch craig on that car no, no. Uh, Mike O'Connor was okay. the owner, and, and uh, Mike Rowe had, had been driving it. That's what it is. And I yeah. never, I at that point, I'd been doing my own thing, and I hadn't really followed a lot of the Bush North stuff, so I didn't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was a lot bigger than what we were doing. And right. when Dave asked me if I wanted to try that car out because Mike was leaving, um, I said, absolutely. And it's kind of funny because I was working at Varney GMC in Bangor selling trucks. Mm. And uh, O'Connor's was the biggest competition in yeah, Maine, right, you yeah. know. And uh, they asked me to try that car out, but they brought it to Speedway in 95. I did a test day, and uh, I ended up getting the ride, and, and I got to run two races that year. That was my first trip to New Hampshire Speedway. 
um that was wow. a, that was that was pretty big to pop through the tunnel and I'm like, we're going to go down those straightaways, you know? Yes, like, where do you lift? Yeah, where you do just, you lift? You that, keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. So I ran that where, race. Where do you lift? The, I don't know if you ever noticed at New Hampshire, but there's signs, 4321. And and it, it's, you know, it's a, before you get to the corner, obviously. But um, I gradually would <laughs> yeah. work my way up to the two. Really? When we were running V6s, you didn't have as much straightaway speed. Hmm. But as we got over the years, you'd have to lift a little sooner because we had a lot more speed with the V8 stuff. You're racing the uh, the Ocona car and getting your feet wet with that. I ran the entire season in 93. I 93. Won, I won yeah. Rookie of the Year, but we didn't win a race. And uh, and then in 94, we uh, we started out with the same program, same everything was the same. And I ended up winning my first race at Apple Valley Speedway in uh, Williamson, New York. I, I qualified outside pole. I remember Tommy Rosati out-qualified me. The Ocean and, Spray car. He yeah, was he was yeah. Ocean Spray cool before it was Fleetwood Mac cool. But that night I won my first race in the Ocona 15, and we were just a small team. You know, Dave McMaster took care of the motor, and Danny Chipman was the crew chief, and we had just a couple crew members, you know. And uh, we were pretty excited because we won the race. I had to call Mike and Pam O'Connor back in Augusta because they didn't go that week. Mm. And uh, they couldn't believe, you know, we, we won. And after we won that first one, it seemed like things just started getting better. We started running up front every week. And we uh, I think we finished third in points that year in 94. And, and then I got offered, uh, you know, the biggest, best ride on the North Series back at the time was H&H Motorsports out of Connecticut, Granby, Connecticut. Mike McLaughlin Magic Shoes was driving the uh, number 51 Coors Extra Gold. That was the car. That was the car. I mean, they had the backing and they had the team and they... uh, so your dad must love this because you're driving for people now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was he was thrilled. Is he on board at this oh, point? Oh, he's on board now. Yeah, okay. The minute I landed that ride with O'Connor yep. and I was getting a paycheck, he was on board. Yes. He was all about it. That's my boy. Yep. So I moved to Connecticut to do that deal because Mike McLaughlin was going south and got down there and I'd only been there like a month and a half or so and that whole deal just kind of sizzled and, and fell apart temporarily. But I didn't have anything. I ended up moving back to Maine and... Um, Mike and Pam had, had uh, hired Derek Lynch to drive the, the uh, 15 O'Connor car for that year. And I really was kind of up in the air. I didn't have anything. And uh, I went back to Dave McMaster's house in Litchfield. Said, Dave, you know, my, my I had met my now my wife, Sue, but she was my girlfriend. I said, we really don't have any money, don't have any place to live. This whole deal fell apart. I'm coming back to Maine. What am I going to do? He said, well, I'll give you a job building motors at Butler McMaster Automotive. Mm. I said, all right. He said, we're going to build a race car. And I said, Dave, how are we going to do that? You know, these things cost, you know, seventy, eighty thousand. He said, we'll figure it out. So he made a call to Quint Beauvais, who owned the Skull car, the seven car, mm. out of Littleton, New Hampshire. He says, Quint, do you have any chassis up there? Quint was a Laughlin race car dealer. Quint says, I got one that I can't sell because it's a little bit heavier. It's got heavier frame rails and some of the new stuff's a little lighter. But he goes, this be a good car. He said, come get it. He said, we'll worry about paying for it later. So we drove up there in the winter hmm. with an open snowmobile trailer and got this chassis, brought it down over the uh, Route 302. We come down over Crawford's Notch and all that, down through North Conway, brought it back to Litchfield, Maine. We just started uh, getting parts here and there, and people were helping us left and right. And uh, I was working building motors at Butler McMaster, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Levesque comes down over the steps. And I remember he was limping when he came down the stairs, and I said, hey, what's wrong with your leg? And he pulled up his pant leg, 
and he had a uh, he had a uh, prosthetic leg. And he says, uh, hey, he said, I've been snowmobile racing. He goes, and I heard you're going car racing. I said, well, we're trying. But I said, we need some funding. He goes, well, I want to help you. He goes, I want to go car racing. Wow. He said, uh, I want to be in on it. So he bought me a dually, uh, used dually, and we bought a used Oh, he had a trailer that he'd been using for his snowmobiles. Had to take the wood stove out of the trailer to make it a race car trailer. Wow. And uh, But we did that, and he helped us get a motor, and then – uh, I had to lean on my dad for the first time in racing years. I right. called Joe Bessie. had two Buick V6s that he wanted to sell. He wanted 10000 apiece for them. Well, I didn't have twenty grand, so I called my father. I said, Dad, uh, I need to borrow some money. He said, what do you need that for? And I told him. He said, man, he says, you know how I feel about this racing stuff. But he goes, I tell you what, I'm going to let you do it. He said, I'm going to give you the twenty grand." But he goes, I, he said, the first sponsor you get, I want my money back. I said, promise. For a lot of our younger audience, uh, they're uh, conditioned to see a race shop with five or six different cars, even for regional series. But you have one race car. One race car. And okay. Two trying, engines. Two engines, one car. Okay. And uh, so we got it all together, and um, I don't remember how it all went down, but I... You didn't do bad. You came out of the gate uh, ninth at Loudoun. Oh, okay. So, yep. you know, you get a top 10 there. Yep. Uh, but things really started to come together about four or five races into it. It seems that, uh, you know, Holland, good track, three-eighths mile, you get a third place. And then tell me about Thompson. Yeah, Thompson. Uh, yeah, I remember that well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I won the race. And uh, as I was taking the checkered flag, uh, a lap car ended up tangling with me, and I spun. I think it was Jeff Spraker. Oh, yeah. And I spun the car, which was fine. But I was sitting across the track. Here I'd just taken the checkered flag. And uh, first first win of my own team. Yeah. And I looked, and I can't remember who it was, but I remember seeing him coming out of the left side. I said, man, he's going to hit me. And sure enough, he wiped the front clip off that car. Was he mad or something? No, or he no? just yeah. he's, he didn't see me in time. Because he's kinda, a great guy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I always got along with him just fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who, Jeff? Oh, Jeff, yeah. yeah. He didn't know I was there. It was kind of my fault, honestly. Oh. What happened is my spotter said, I thought he said, Dion's coming. Dave Dion was running second to me. Mm-hmm. We come off turn four, and I looked in my mirror, and I didn't see Dion. I didn't know where he went. So I passed the lap car, and he had no idea I was there. I went by him so fast, he was trying to get out of my way, and he clipped me oh. and turned me. But that didn't do the damage. It's Whoever hit me, I think it was Bob Brunel maybe, he wiped me out bad. <laughs> Took the front clip off. I had to get a ride to Victory Lane. Mm. And that was the night that I proposed to Sue in Victory Lane. My first win in my own car, and I ended up... It doesn't um, get better than that. <laughs> no. Yep. So uh, that was that was a pretty cool win, a cool night. 1996, things really take off. I mean, compared to, uh, you know, one win here, one win there, now you're with your own team, and you're winning left and right. Yeah, 96 was a great year for us. We um, They changed some rules, and you could run the V6, or, the, or you could have a V8, mm-hmm. and... Uh, with you know the sponsorship that we were getting and some of the people that were helping us uh allowed dave to build me a new engine and dave got a dyno that year for his shop so we spent a lot a lot of hours trying to come up with enough power to compete with you know the guys like kelly moore and dave dion they they were getting well dave dion was building his own engines but uh he had good stuff and kelly moore was you know getting engines from down south and so we spent a lot of time trying to get some power and and uh, we worked hard on that one car that we had, and 
uh we i think we got eight poles in 1996 if i remember correctly you did and uh we won maybe four races i think which was i think the most of anybody that year we did everything but win the championship and uh we had a couple dns from uh it was rex i believe and uh running up front and that's dave dion was real consistent that year and he won the championship so i'm looking at you know your bush north rankings i mean you get third third second fourth you've established yourself as one of the top guys in the northeast at what point do you think hey i could make a living doing this or at this point were you a professional race car driver were you uh, still working or i was still working but i at the last uh, 1996 and 97 um i basically worked on my own cars alone i mm-hmm. didn't have any hired help and then um i landed the monroe muffler deal in 97 kind of over the phone and that deal was put together by larry nuba who's no longer with us he he was a tv commentator and he handled all of the stuff for win oil company and wins had sponsored me the year before right and that whole deal kind of fell into place and he knew the folks at monroe muffler well monroe sponsored me for the 97 season in the north but they wanted to be on tv every race and they wanted to go south because nascar is exploding in popularity at this point i mean they're on national tv every weekend even the the bush series at the time the xfinity series today how did this come together was it them in the south looking at the north and saying this is the guy was it a combination of a number of things no i think um well i'll tell you it was kind of i remember dale earnhardt coming to loud and racing a little bit with us and he was kind of eyeing over the North guys, and Steve Park was running the North Series and a partial schedule in the North Series, and he was doing the full-time Featherlight Modified Tour deal and running good in both series. Steve was always up front. He was a great, great driver. And I remember we went to Watkins Glen in 96, I think it was, and I ended up winning the race. I beat Steve. And the the, the funny part was I didn't know it at the time, but Dale Earnhardt was looking at myself and steve park to to go in one of his cars for the back then it was the bush series and um steve ended up getting the ride i won the race at watkins Glen, but steve steve ended up landing that ride Mm -hmm. and uh i was a little bit jealous i'm like man i wish i could have had a shot at that but but steve was was great he was a great spokesperson great driver and he deserved it you know but i said well i'm gonna keep digging well i kept going and i had a few offers here and there but i had commitments in 97 with monroe up in the north and i had a few truck deals come up that i had to turn down because i had to commit i was fully committed to my own program up here well then monroe says hey we wouldn't mind going down south yeah we've got money enough so i started searching for a team uh in the fall of 97 and uh i had like 13 teams calling me but it was because of the monroe sponsorship and I had a good record. People knew yeah. that I, if I was in the right equipment, I could probably get it done. And you weren't wrecking that much either. It's one right. thing to be fast and tear up equipment or blow motors or, or have a hot head about you, but you had a great reputation as a driver as one of the smoothest drivers on the Bush North Series. Yeah, well, I had my own, I, I owned my own car for one, and yeah. I had to repair it myself. So yes. that made you a little more cautious, I think. I probably, I might have won more races if I'd have driven for somebody else where mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about fixing it every week, but... And when I went down south, that's kind of when I came back to the North Series in 2002. That mm. was my mindset. I I learned down there you can't worry about the car; you got to win. That's all mm. they care about. If you bring it home in a basket, but you're going for the lead, that they don't care. So just, when did you learn that? At what point did you just say, "Man, it's it's a different ball game down here"? Yeah, I would say it was '99 because '98 I was I was a rookie. I didn't know anything about 
bush racing. I went down there and, and landed a deal, and we started a brand new team, had the Monroe Muffler deal, sponsorship. So that wasn't a team that existed prior to 98? No, we started that deal in January and had to be in Daytona in February. So we bought used cars, right. and we just started going and making the races. And we, we actually were doing really well for a, for a startup team. And then we had some bumps in the road about midway through the year. We lost our crew chief. He got in a bunch of trouble, and we had to fire him. And it went downhill for a while. Mm-hmm. But then in 99, we got things built back up. We started looking well. We, we Over the winter, between 98 and 99, things were looking really good. We had the Monroe deal back, and we had some brand-new cars we were building. Mm. And uh, went to Daytona, and I got hurt opening day in 99. Tell me what that was like. Do you remember all of it? I remember all of it. Yeah, I remember the whole thing. And I think the most disappointing part we had a we had a car that was capable of setting on the pole down there. But the crew chief we had helped us build the car, and he's still a friend of mine today. Mm. He we ended up firing him over an issue that NASCAR had with the car, and he wouldn't fix it. And we said we have to fix it. Long story short, we fixed it. He got let go. We went to Daytona with no crew chief, and. uh we got down there and we practiced and we were great and practice and all went out to qualify and we slowed down we didn't know why well it turns out we we blew the tires up on air pressure like you would at a short track because it's all of us that were working on this car were all short track guys mm. well turns out what we did wrong was down at daytona back then the way the rules were you you wanted the back end of the car as low as possible so guys were letting air out of the tires in the rear to get the spoiler down well we we slowed down from practice to qualifying and we were all bummed out. We still qualified like 22nd out of a like 70 car field. It's amazing you remember that. Yeah, so we had, we had a I mean we had a real good car and I led the draft for the first time ever in that car. What's that like? It, you grew up you're watching stuff on CBS, the Daytona 500 and now you're at Daytona leading a pack with cup drivers in it. Yeah. Oh, it was Jeff Burton that I passed to get the lead draft and he he sucked up to the back of my car and picked me up like 3 tenths. Wow. And it, he had that track gear forward. And I was never even in the same zip code of those guys the year before with the car we had. Yep. But this car, this thing would run. And I said, man, we got a shot at winning this race. So we went out, started 22nd, and we're just drafting, getting in a line, and we're going to ride the first half out. Well, what happened is uh, Matt Kenseth and Michael Waltrip made a little bit of contact up in the front of the pack, and Michael cut his left rear tire coming off turn two and spun down the backstretch. Wouldn't have been a big deal, but everybody lifted, and I was in I was in a line with uh, Jeff Purvis and Lyndon Amick. I remember. While Amick was behind Purvis, and I was behind Amick. Well, Am- when Purvis lifted, Amick didn't get off the throttle quite quick enough. Mm. He tagged Purvis in the rear, and I remember watching Jeff's car just walk up the racetrack wiggling, and and I was on the brakes, and I was behind Amick, and, and we're just trying to slide by so we don't hit Purvis. He hit the wall and come down off at an angle, mm-hmm. hit me in the right rear, and it just ripped the truck arm out of the, the right rear trailing arm out, and it turned me sideways instantly. So I just locked it down. I mean, I'm probably still going 170 when I got wrecked. So I just locked the brakes up and hang on while it was just white smoke. Couldn't see anything. Days and of thunder. Days of thunder, same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And I've got my eyes closed at that point, hanging on the steering wheel, and all at once, pow, that thing hit. I didn't know what I'd hit, but I hit hard. And then it just started spinning like a top, and then it stopped in the track. And the worst part wasn't over because I, I looked out my left window, and I see 18 more cars coming by because I was mid-pack. Mm-hmm. And they're going by me, splitting me left and right. And I'm like, 
this is going to hurt. I just closed my eyes and looked back down. Mm. And when all the dust settled, nobody hit me. I uh, It had knocked the wind out of me. And I finally radioed in and said, I'm okay. You know, I was out of breath. But That was the hardest hit that you've ever had in a race car by a mile. Oh, yeah, at yeah. that point. Had you ever yeah. had the wind knocked out of you? In I'd the had wreck the wind or? knocked out of me in a couple of wrecks that I'd hit on the right front, hit the hit the wall at Darlington and uh, blew a right front tire and stuffed it in the fence and knocked the wind out of me and bruised my sternum. And that hurt, but this one was a little worse. And I, um, I knew at that point that I couldn't get out of the car. I had something going on in my leg. and. We didn't have the seats they have now. We didn't have the knee knockers that they have now. We mm. were lacking a lot of safety, and we didn't have soft walls. So, mm. um, you know, we've learned a lot since 1999, that's for sure. So you miss half the season, but you're not finished. Uh, you come back, you know, you um, you know, you know, qualify pretty well. I think it was at Richmond, and you're running well, but it all comes together later on in the year. That, that moment that you win that Bush Grand National race in front of a packed house. Yeah, you know... Uh, didn't really at that point we knew we were getting better team was getting better the cars were better actually you know we had a couple good cars that dave davis and stevie levitt had put together for us mm. they were kind of in partnership two main guys and uh we built the first one and went to richmond sat on the pole and i remember mark martin coming up to me and he'd never spoke to me before mm. he come up to me before qualifying he goes just go do what you've been doing all day he goes that pole's yours he goes that thing's a rocket I remember him telling me that, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool coming from Mark Martin. He's won more Bush races than anybody, yes. you know. He was the Kyle Bush of the time. He was, yeah. he was, no doubt. And I went out and set, I said, man, I can't let Mark Martin down. So I went out and sat on the pole. <laughs> and I, we got our first top 10 that night, yeah. and that was that was getting us rolling. But out there at Pikes Peak, I knew we had a car that was capable of winning, and um, and I it just came down to time management, taking care of it. And we, uh, we ended up winning that race, and it, it was like obviously that was the biggest win of my career mm. um and i think the coolest part was it was only like my third race back from breaking my leg and uh i remember you know i'm excited and everything and i do a few burnouts when i i come down i i go to come down to victory lane come down pit road and i look and it was kind of like not quite the same as when dale Earnhardt won the daytona 500 right. but they know but, what you've been through yeah they knew what i'd been through and i had a lot of friends in the garage and uh, I looked and all the teams lined up out on pit road. That's amazing. And I I went right down through and hit high fived everybody and I was in the car, and uh, it was just you know it, it was it was a feeling that I can't even describe. It was just emotional and and uh, to say hey man I did it you know here's a kid that was not too many years ago ten ten years before that I was laying in a hospital bed paralyzed on a ventilator, mm-hmm. and ten years later I'm winning a bush race at Pikes Peak so um, full crowd everybody's on your side that day. What was it like getting out of the race car? We've seen it on TV. You know, you stand up and the crowd roars. What's that feeling oh, like? It's un- unbelievable. I mean, that that Pikes Peak Raceway was, that was an amazing little racetrack. It was a one-mile track, but it was out there with Pikes Peak and the mountaintops in the background and everything. Mm. It was just out in Colorado. It was, a, it was just phenomenal. Back then, we were packing the those racetracks like Loudon and mm. Pikes Peak that would hold a hundred thousand, they'd be packed for a, for a bush race. So, uh, just an incredible feeling. I mean, I, I, I just go back to that day. I go back and watch that video occasionally to remind myself that I did it. You know, it's yes. been a long time. But. And uh, Sue was right with you the whole way. Sue uh, was, yeah. You know? Sue Sue worked hard in in racing. I think she pushed me. Uh, you know, when I'd get down on myself, she was she was the one that would lift me back up. But Sue worked. She uh, she was a worker at the racetrack. She was one of the crew members, and she took all the times, took all the notes on the pit box, and 
she uh, she always had the info we needed for the crew chief and whatnot but she was a big part of that whole thing and she'd been she'd been with me through the whole broken leg thing and sitting out three months and you get you know i i see people when they have uh health issues get depressed and i didn't get depressed but i got down a lot and uh well your career was on a trajectory that was just rocketing and then all of a sudden did you feel at some point when you're sitting in your bed was someone else driving your car at this yeah point? that's what i was gonna yeah, yeah i was gonna say elliot sadler drove my car hmm. uh the 47 monroe muffler car when i was out did a great job and elliot was was awesome for doing it for us and he did a mm. heck of a job but still but I, I remember sitting in my recliner with my broken leg and i'm watching the race and i remember staying staying and dying reserve had moved to north carolina stan had sold the business to jeff taylor up here in maine and stan was uh was living down there and he come to my house and he said how are you doing and i said i'm doing all right and i was cheering for the 47 he goes i i know you want that car to win he said i do too but he said i don't want that car to win until you get back in it Mm. And and that was pretty cool coming from him because he, you know, out of all the guys from Maine, Stan, he knows a lot about racing. He's been around. He goes, he said, we're, we're waiting. I remember Elliot was leading, doing real well, and something went wrong. And Stan says, uh, we're saving that checkered flag for you when you get back. And, mm. and uh, so, hey. Was he working on that car? No, Stan oh, didn't work on that uh, car. He, he he come down to work for Ricky Craven in the Cup Series. And, on Ricky's Bush on Ricky's, team? Uh, he'd worked on Ricky's Bush team, yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, um, How close were you and Ricky during this time? Did you guys? I know obviously your professional paths crossed, but they I mean, did, and yeah. I, I didn't really know Ricky only through Stan. Mm. I didn't know him until I moved down south in '98, and Ricky had the the two team, his own Dupont team, they have yeah. the, the Bush Series, and um, I got to know him basically just from going over there to see Stan. And Ricky's always been really good to me, and mm. if I ever needed advice, he was the guy to go to when I went down there, and and. Um, no, he he's always been real good, but we never really raced together. I mean, we we've been in a few races together. For the most part, we yeah. our paths didn't really cross on the racetrack. That's right. He had gone to Cup by ninety five, ninety six, and yes. you yep. were still winning Bush North. And um, yep. you know, I asked uh, the guests to to bring different photos that are significant to their career to the podcast. And uh, since we're talking about nineteen ninety nine. This uh, this photo of you in a white forty four. You you changed your number to forty four. First of all, uh, from the twenty five. Why why did you change that over? Which you um, had done years prior. I think I couldn't get the twenty five. Uh, trying to think, when I went to the fifteen O'Connor car, that mm. was their number. Mm-hmm. And then when I started when I started my own team, the twenty five was taken in NASCAR. I couldn't get it. It was it was. Who the un- heck was that? I don't know who had it. I can't remember, but they had it locked down. I don't even think they were using it. Right. But they had a year where it was locked in. Nobody could get it. And I said, "Well, my dad's number was forty four, so I'll take oh. the forty four. Excellent. And that's that's how that came about. So there's a, a special car here. It doesn't look like any of the other cars that I, I know you from. And it's you uh, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway or New Hampshire International Speedway at that time. It's uh, it's the wheeling car. Can you tell me about that win? Yeah, that that actually. And at the end of the 1999 season, after I had won my first Bush race, um, me and the team I was driving for, we parted company. And uh, it was a tough year with me being out. And then there was a lot of issues. And just sponsorship was getting tougher. And, hmm. um, so I left. And I didn't really have a ride for the 2000 season. And I was kind of fielding my options. Well, I wanted to build a, a Bush North car and run a few races. I wanted to run New Hampshire. I wanted to run Watkins Glen. So I spent the winter between 99 and 2000 building that car, uh, the 44 car. So got it done, 
and we ran some races and uh i think that year i i won uh two out of the four that we ran um with that actually we ran three races with that car and i i won two of them one of them was watkins Glen, and i just converted that from an oval track car to a road race car wow and then the picture you have that was uh in september uh at Loudoun, new hampshire that was the only restricted plate race that's ever been run in the north series and uh, how that came about that was the year that kenny Irwin and adam petty uh, lost their lives at new hampshire and uh, the Cup Series and the, the Bush Series and all of them had to run a restrictor plate for the September race. NASCAR decided to slow the cars down. Well, they decided to do it even with the Bush North cars. So um, that particular race, the reason they had wheeling on the rear quarters is I was going to run those three races, and I needed a place to keep my car in the Northeast. So Teddy Marsh was a good friend of mine, and he said, hey, we'll crew that car if you put wheeling on the rear quarter panel. So we had wheeling on the rear quarters. I think... Uh, I think we had um, maybe had winds on the hood. I, I don't remember on part of the hood, and then hmm. we had um, a, a good one of my best friends from high school. His wife had passed away that summer, and uh, she had started a cancer research um, organization down east in down east Maine, and it was called the Choose Life Foundation. And uh, basically, that was her legacy. And the the symbol was a American bald eagle. And we put the eagle on the hood of the car and put the Choose Life Foundation on there in memory wow. of her. And we went and her entire family, her sister, her mom and dad, uh, everybody in her immediate family, along with my my best friend that had lost her, uh, they came to that race. And uh, I said, wouldn't it be neat if we could win this race? And being the restrictor plate thing, we, none of us really knew what we were up for. But Did they tell you in advance? Like, Did you know weeks in advance? We, no, we knew the week that we were coming. That okay. was it. And we just took a regular engine and stuck a restrictor plate on it, which is basically what all the North guys did. Mm-hmm. Nobody had an engine special made or anything. So, um, But we ended up getting in victory lane with, uh, it was the Beth, Beth Wright is her name, and she has that Choose Life Foundation uh, is is basically her legacy. It's out of Ellsworth, Maine, mm. and they've done so much in the last twenty years for cancer research, and they've helped tons of people in Down East Maine. The race came down. That specific race came down to a pretty interesting restart. It did, and and uh, it came down to myself and Jamie Obi. And obviously, Jamie was a three time yeah he was the guy Bush North champion. Yeah, yeah so he <laughs> runs really well. And I remember the day before, I told the crew, I said, "Man, this thing's pretty good," but. I said, I'm afraid if the tires start to go away or whatever with this restrictor plate on, you got no horsepower. I said, and they have a gear rule on top of that. I said, we're going to be in trouble if if the car gets a little tight or anything. Well, that night I, I got thinking about it, and I said, man, I'd like to have a different transmission that I could drop into third gear and not have a big jump, but just enough to give me a little bit more gear in the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got thinking about it. So the next morning I went to track. I went to every cup team to see if they had a transmission that had a – different ratio than what i had and i finally found one and they let me use it and i put it in and it came down to the last restart i said man i'm just going to leave this thing in third gear and that way i had more rear gear to get me off the corner and i uh, jamie was all over me until that restart and once we took off on that restart i left it in third (laughs) and i went like 10 laps and i just drove away from him and uh pulled it back in high so after the race jamie's like i don't know what you did but he said i had you beat until that last restart I said, yeah, you did. I said, I had one more trick up my sleeve, and I had to use it. (laughs) That's a wrap for stage number two. In stage three, Andy moves back north, puts up some stats that are probably never going to be duplicated, becomes a team owner, 
and goes on a very special hunting trip. I had my heart set on mm. getting a deer yep. for my father's sake, you know, and I knew he'd want me to get one. And I um, didn't know if it was going to happen or not, but oh, I was all alone, and it was kind of like just, I know he was there with me. Catch you in stage number three.